The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good to see all of you and uh, trust that you're having a good weekend and a good week of orientation, that you're ready for uh, things to change a little bit as the returning students start to flow in uh, today and tomorrow morning. Um, I uh, always enjoy uh, being able to be with you as um, new students, transfer students on Sunday mornings. Uh, we don't often gather on Sunday mornings here except for these kinds of special occasions. Uh, there's a reason for that. We believe it's very important for you during your time here to be involved in a local church. And as the weeks unfold, uh, those churches will make themselves known to you. There'll be lots of opportunities uh, for you to be looking for that. It is important uh, that you uh, take that seriously and that you are able to fellowship with a body beyond the walls, but it is special when we can all gather together on a Sunday morning here as a community of brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, before I share with you some thoughts from a specific passage of Scripture, I want to uh, introduce someone. Um, you were introduced to me earlier in the week and as the president, but uh, my wife, Mrs. Williams, Dawn, is also someone that you'll get to know. She's uh, present around the university. You'll hear from her from time to time in chapel or other small groups, and uh, she has a ministry amongst the students for which I'm very thankful, but I'll, I'll ask Dawn to stand, and you can see her there. That's Mrs. Williams, so you can say hi to her. The, uh, I was praying for you this morning um, along a couple of lines. One, um, I'm sure you're tired that we keep you moving after you get here. Uh, and two, for the adjustments that are in front of you, um, that the Lord would give you grace as you uh, wrap up this weekend and head into tomorrow, which is relatively unknown territory. Uh, even if you're a transfer student or you've been to college someplace else for a period of time, uh, it is a little bit of an adjustment to a new place, new schedule, new routine, and everybody will be adjusting tomorrow because of the, um, the, the protocols that are in place with regard to health and safety plan and all of those kinds of things. So, uh, you actually end up uh, being more experienced in some ways than the uh, upperclassmen who will return uh, today and tomorrow because you've already been dealing with masks and distancing in the dining hall and even the seating in here. Uh, but but uh, there is quite a bit to adjust to, and so I was praying for you this morning that the Lord would be gracious to you as you make those adjustments to life. I said something on whatever day we were together, they're all running together, I think it was Thursday maybe, about... Um, your new life and a new beginning here. And I want to underscore just a couple of things before I go to this passage of Scripture. Um, and I'll say this to my class. I'm just curious, how many in here are with me tomorrow morning here for the government class? A anybody in here tomorrow morning? A few of you, okay. Uh, so we're in here tomorrow morning for the, for the government class, and I always say this to my classes. Um, I've been teaching here a long time. It is very important for you, it's very important to me, but it's very important for you uh, that you give yourself some time to adjust, that you're not too rough on yourself uh, in the opening weeks, that you work hard to get adjusted and you find your way through. But I said something earlier this week that I want to underscore for you that you should tuck away in your mind and think about. There's part of it where being a student at a university means you will learn things. There's another part of it, which is being at university means you have to learn how to be a student. Um, you have to learn sort of what works for you with regard to sleep and eating and homework and patterns and friends. You have to navigate life here. You have to learn what one professor prefers over another professor, and you'll learn your way around, and you'll learn how to navigate all of that. 
You need to be patient with yourselves because there's nothing that you learn to do in life that you learn by getting right the first time. So you need to go easy on yourselves as you're making all of these adjustments. And the best way to do that is to be intentional. Intentional about working on it and intentional about being easy on yourself and giving yourselves time to adjust. And so we'll be praying, Dawn and I will be praying for you as you make all those adjustments. Uh, but this morning what I want to do is give you some thoughts uh, some, again, much like I did earlier in the week, it was Solomon's wisdom and instruction to his son. I want to, if you have your Bibles open to the, to the book of 2 Timothy, I want to talk about Paul's instruction to his spiritual son, Timothy. And we're going to look particularly at the first few verses of chapter 2. So I do want to give you something this morning that I'm going to ask you to think about at some point during the day today or the evening this evening prior to tomorrow because it's actually how Paul ends his thoughts in this particular set of verses that I want to deal with this morning. So let me read it, and then I'll uh, go back and, and unpack it. Paul says to his student, his disciple, his spiritual son Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will also be able to. To teach others. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, and it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Father in heaven, as we look at these few verses, of instruction and wisdom that the Apostle Paul imparts to his student, his disciple. We pray that you would give us grace to understand open hearts and clear minds to think about the teaching of your word, particularly these verses this morning, and that your spirit would use this passage to strengthen us in our faith and in our walk with you and in the work that you've given us to do here as we embrace the calling and the life of students. And we pray this in the strong name of Christ. Amen. So, um, you may be pretty familiar with uh, Paul's work on, uh, with Timothy. Um, you know, this is someone that he invested a lot of time and energy in. In this book, the second letter that he wrote to Timothy, he often uh, expresses and says, the one that I love, my child, my son, my beloved, uh, it's very strong language that Paul is writing. It's a very personal, maybe one of Paul's most personal letters written in the New Testament. And it stands to reason because he's writing to someone that he, is, that he, that he has spent a lot of time, that he's poured himself into. It's not just someone that he, that he taught in a lecture hall with uh, 200 others. This is someone that Paul has poured himself into. He's allowed Timothy to see his own fears and anxieties, his own, uh, his own apprehensions, his own struggles, his own uh, achievements, his own sort of wrestling with what to do. Timothy walked with Paul. He saw Paul's life. And he watched Paul's struggle. And so when Paul is writing to Timothy with this kind of personal expression, it's not just sort of, yeah, you're one of the, one of the gang and I really love you, 
I really love you, kiddo, and here's what I want to say. That's not what this is. This is Paul actually turning to someone who is, in, in, in essence, uh, the recipient of a lot of time and energy, of blood, sweat, tears, prayer, and, and, and investment. Paul poured his life into Timothy as he poured his life out in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very personal letter, a lot of, a lot of personal expressions throughout all of it. And I would encourage you as you go back and read First and Second Timothy, look for that. You'll actually see Paul kind of gets characterized because of his personality. He's a very direct, commanding, direct, strong, stoic uh, individual that he didn't have any kind of emotion that Paul's not really the apostle we like a whole lot. We like the others that talk about love and care and hugs. Paul was a little rough, right? I mean, Paul's the one that was a little rough on John Mark and all the, but Paul's expression to Timothy here is one of genuine concern and genuine love. It's also interesting to note that this is the last letter that Paul writes. So here's the interesting thing. He's, he's about to die the martyr's death for being a servant of Jesus Christ. This former persecutor of the church, Paul, who killed Christians in his Hebrew zeal, is miraculously transformed from Saul to Paul and becomes God's missionary to the Gentiles. And he's invested in so many people and spread the gospel and planted churches and experienced so much in his life. He comes to the very end and the last thing that he wants to do is right to his spiritual son, his disciple, his student, the recipient of all of that time and energy, Timothy. Which means that what Paul says to Timothy, in my view, I've always felt this when I read it, it packs a lot of punch. One, because it's personal, and two, because it's final. Uh, years ago, there was something that happened. It was going on in colleges and universities. They would invite retiring professors. It started, actually, with someone who was diagnosed with a terminal illness. They gave him the opportunity to do what was called a last lecture. And then it kind of caught on for a little while. It's kind of fizzled now, where you would invite a faculty member to come and say, if this was the last thing that you could say to students, what would you say? Well, that's actually what this is for Paul. It's his last shot at Timothy. It's the end of the line for Paul. He knows it's coming. He's being poured out as a drink offering. The thing about when Paul uses that language in, in another epistle, the thing about that language is a drink offering can't be put back in the bottle. When it's spent, it's spent. It's over. And Paul viewed his whole life in ministry as that. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I'm giving myself up. I'm holding nothing in reserve. This is the example that I've set for you. This is the way that I've shown you to live. And now his his final parting personal shot at Timothy is full of that kind of really impactful, wise instruction that's born out of love and concern and wanting to see this investment made good because Timothy is a young leader. We always, I remember when I was in youth group, everybody always wanted to talk about Timothy and have us identify with him. Timothy wasn't 14. Timothy wasn't even 20. Timothy was probably in his 30s when this is going on. But Paul knows that Timothy is being passed the torch or the baton to carry on the apostles' ministry as, as a preacher and evangelist. He's actually pastoring and shepherding a group of people in a day when it's very hard to do so. Listen, persecution was ramping up at the end of Paul's time, but by the time he passes the torch to Timothy, Timothy will face persecution and struggle and trial that the apostle Paul could only have dreamed was coming. You know, it is true that it is hard to be a Christian in the world. If we think otherwise, we're being naive, and if we want otherwise, we are not being biblical. The Apostle Paul spells out for, for his student Timothy here something really, 
really profound that you and I need to hear because Timothy is going to carry on this act of ministry in a very hard context. His life will not be easy. I don't want you to get for one minute, Paul says, I did the hard stuff, Timothy. I plowed up the road. I I did all this. I pushed the boulders out. I cleared the trees. I'm handing it off to you. Don't mess it up. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul isn't saying, I've smoothed out the road for you and all you got to do is walk it. I've put everything in place. All you got to do is make it run. That's really not what's going on here. Paul is telling Timothy, you're about to get it even harder than I did. And this is the one who says, I was beaten five times. I received 40 lashes more than once. I was left for dead, shipwrecked, out in the exposure, danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from all this stuff. And this is the Apostle Paul basically saying to Timothy, now brace yourself because you're going to have it harder than I did. It's loving, it's personal, it's powerful, it's profound, and it is prescient. He's pointing him to the future. And this is what he says, you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul uses this language often with Timothy and and elsewhere in the New Testament, but with Timothy, he wants him to be strong. He wants him to be strengthened. He does not want him to be a shrinking violet. He does not want him to be a snowflake. He doesn't want him to be somebody who, as soon as the hard times come, folds. That won't make it in the world that Paul is, is sending Timothy into. Now, he is not saying to him, pull yourself up by your bootstraps or buck up. He's actually saying, you should be strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ that is in you. He's actually saying to Timothy, there's no excuse for you to cower. You should rather be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The risen Savior who saved you is the one who will sustain you. Be strengthened in that, my son. When the hard times come, when the challenges come, when the adversity builds, when you start to feel tired, when you start to feel anxious, when you start to worry, when you start to think you can't do it or you can't make it, be strengthened by the grace of that is in Jesus Christ. Remember your Savior. This is what he's saying to him. His parting shots. Listen, be strengthened. He doesn't say to him, look, you're going to feel like quitting and it's okay. No, he says be strengthened. He exhorts him to lean in, not of his own power, but by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to be perfectly frank with you. You're coming into a time where some of you are going to cruise. Some of you are going to find yourself in an academic setting where you are, because of the nature of who you are and how you function and how you manage, you're moving from one academic setting where you succeeded at a high level to another one where you'll succeed at a high level. And the easy thing to think is, I've got this. I'm going to cruise right through this. I promise you there will be other things that happen that stretch and strain you. Social, spiritual, economic, cultural, personal. I have no way of knowing I promise you this, I've been doing it here a long time, you will not get through this without being challenged and stretched. There will be things that discourage you, that concern you, that frighten you, that overwhelm you. It might not be classes for some of you. For others of you, you cruise through whatever was before this on the social side. You're sound in your faith and you're shaking right now because you're worried about the academic side of things. It doesn't matter where you, how you come to this, what your experience is, your gifts and abilities. It doesn't really matter. All of that is great, your personal testimony, where the Lord's brought you from, your gifts and abilities, your outlook on things, your level of optimism or pessimism. The thing that's interesting to me is all of that is great, but none of that really matters in the end. All of us are human beings in a new context. We're facing all kinds of challenges. There'll be different challenges, but you'll all face something. 
The tendency is the world around us right now, and we just did a series last year where I was challenging students to think biblically about the disciplines of mind and heart. We live in a culture that says when you start to feel it on you, it's okay to collapse. Paul says, no, be strengthened in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual discipline to remind yourself that God has given you what you need to be strengthened. And he says, you then, my child, my son, the one that I poured myself into, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's there for you. He said to those disciples on the shore, for lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I believe with all my heart that when the disciples were facing not just persecution, but martyrdom, when, they, when Jesus said, they're going to take you by the hand and lead you where you do not want to go, Peter. I believe that in that day when Peter was being led off to be crucified upside down, that he was remembering those words, lo, I'm with you always, even to the, the passage that was read with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't go into the fire thinking, we're going in the fire, and whoo, they're going to write songs about us and give awards in our name, and we're going to come out. They actually went in thinking they were going to die, but they didn't care because death was not something to be afraid of for them, because their God would preserve them, whether they lived or died. And so that's the same picture here. Those disciples would have gone on to martyrdom, would have looked at the suffering and persecution that was in front of them, and remembered the words of the Lord Jesus, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And Paul says then, be strengthened in that grace, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, go and do that work and trust it to faithful men. In other words, don't, don't stop doing the job that you've been given to do. He actually says to Timothy here, the the circumstances are going to press on upon you. You're going to feel weak. Be strengthened in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. But keep entrusting to faithful men the thing. In other words, keep doing your job. Listen, I'll let you in on a little secret. The calling of the Lord on your life right now is to be a student at Cairn University. You know how I know that? Because you're a student at Cairn University. You set your hand to the work the Lord has given you to do. What you are doing now is to embrace the life and calling of a student because that's the work he's given you to do. So when you're feeling overwhelmed, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's going to tell him how to do that here in just a little bit. Be strengthened in that grace and keep doing the work you've been given to do. Keep at it. Keep moving forward. The chairperson of the board of trustees spoke to the students a little while ago, and she said, you know, one of the things that she's learned over the course of life as a, as a Christian who's spent her whole life in, the, in a rough and tumble corporate world wondering, what do I do next for the Lord? And her thing is just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Idleness is not our way. Just keep doing the work you've been given to do. Entrust to faithful men what I've taught you. And then in verses 3, 4, and 5, and 6, Paul gives Timothy some pictures to think about life. And they're powerful images. He says to him, first of all, he says to him, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He gives him the picture of a soldier, a picture of an athlete, and the picture of the farmer. Three very distinct word pictures. Things that Timothy would have been very familiar with things that would have been part of the culture that he was operating in. Everybody at that time in in the world knew. They didn't just know what a soldier was. Because they were marching the streets around them, they know what a soldier looked like. They know what a soldier did. When Paul gives that teaching in Ephesians about the armor of God, it it was so powerful because they would have seen soldiers every day. They would have been able to identify with every piece of the armor of God because they were very familiar with it. 
So he uses the soldier image. He uses the athlete image because it was part of the Gentile world, the idea of the competing athlete. I mean, the Olympics aren't just big now. The Olympics have been big for a long time. Athletic competition. They would have known, Timothy would have known that picture. And then the farmer, because it's an agrarian society, you didn't eat apart from the farmers. It would have been part of the warp and woof of his life just to know. You, know, you wouldn't like, you know, oh, someone says the word farmer and we think of a television show with a farmer or we think of the places that we drive by or if you lived in a rural area, you would know it. If you didn't, you wouldn't. Everybody knew it because food didn't come from anywhere else. A good friend who every meal prays for the farmers that raise the food he's eating. That's a great prayer. Discipline yourself. There are people out there working to provide us food. Paul chooses these three images because there are things that, that would have been very familiar to Timothy's everyday life. And so he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The Bible is full of this use of martial language. We don't talk about it very much today. I think it's a, a problem because Paul and even the Lord Jesus used that kind of language. And so it's there. The language of battle, the language of war, the language of soldiers. Paul used it with great effect. And what he says to Timothy here is, share in suffering as a good soldier. A good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, just think about that verse, first of all, in, in chapter 2 and verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier. The issue is Timothy would have known the soldier's life is not easy. There's the threat of harm. There's the, the risk of life and limb the loss of your, your colleagues and comrades all around you, being used in a, in a, in a, for a political agenda that is not your own, uh, doing things that you never dreamed you would do when you were a little boy. He says, be a share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In other words, you're in the Lord's army. You're the, so that, that, that word picture of the soldier, Timothy, that's to be your life as a, as a servant of Jesus Christ. You're a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you should share in suffering. And this is what he's saying to him. Life is going to be hard. Be willing. If I was going to think about it, I'm going to give you three words for each of these pictures. This, uh, this is that word for the soldier to share in the suffering is be willing. Paul is saying to Timothy, you must be willing to endure hardship. You must be willing to suffer. You must be willing to do those things. Share, he says, take up, participate in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Don't look for the easy road. There isn't one. If you look for the easy road, he said, you actually will be entangled in civilian affairs. You'll actually be wanting an easier life, but that's not serving the one who enlisted you. If you're a soldier, you take up the soldier's charge, and the soldier's charge is to march and to fight. And you share in that suffering the hardship, bad food, long days, out in the weather, lots of walking, heavy, heavy loads to bear. That's the thing. Be willing, Timothy. Don't look for the easy road. Don't want to, don't want to live the civilian life. You are a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be willing to share in suffering. In other words, you should not just expect that life will be hard. You wade into it, he says to him. It's a heavy message. You don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. You don't start thinking about the things you don't have. No, no, your aim is to please the one who enlisted you, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you serve. Keep your eyes on that. So the idea of being willing is key here. Be willing to endure. Listen, you... I don't know what's in your personal lives. I don't know what you've brought with you. I don't know what's keeping you awake this week. I don't know if, if 
this is, you're, you're elated and can't wait till tomorrow, but this is what I know. When you come into a situation like this, you should expect challenges. And you are a follower of Jesus Christ, so we all should be expecting that it will not be easy. In fact, one of my favorite prayers from the history of the church is a prayer that begins with the line, we have not been trained for beds of ease. A time we ask that the Lord, we ask that the Lord would send us to where the work is the hardest. That's what Christians do. And so here you are. You have an opportunity to practice like you're going to play, to face challenges and adversity. Be willing to participate. Don't shrink back. Get in there. Remember the one that you serve, the one who has enlisted you. Be willing, he says to Timothy. Verse 5, he reminds him about the picture of the athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, elsewhere, Paul will use the picture of an athlete in a way that he talks about, about um, practice and, and preparation. Here, what he actually says is, no athlete, no athlete wears a crown who doesn't compete according to the rules. It's an interesting twist on the athletic thing. Basically, what he's saying is, there is no glory in the shortcuts. There is no glory in the easy path. There is no sense of achievement, no sense of accomplishment. There's no award, reward, or, or, or sense of satisfaction in cheating. He's basically saying to Timothy here, be vigilant. Be vigilant. There will be things that will distract you. There will be times when you'll want to take the easy way. And I'm not just talking about cheating on an exam. Actually, that's, I'm telling you as the president, that's the least of my concerns. When I was a student here, um, I, I came here uh, as a student a long time ago. When I was a student here, I sat in a faculty member's class. We, we went into class, and he got out the exam and handed out the exam, and everybody's shaking because it was a Bible exam, and we were terrified of those guys. And uh, he was going to leave the room. And a very dutiful student with an overexercised sense of justice did not like it when he left the room because I think she was concerned that that would give people license to cheat. So after the first exam, when he walked out, the second exam, she couldn't take it anymore. And so she raised her hand and she said, Dr. So-and-so, um, why do you leave the room? You know that some students will probably cheat if you do. And he turned around, looked at the class and said, cheat to your God's content. And that's great. I mean, he wasn't worried about it. His view is, you're going to cheat. That's between you and the Lord. Now, that, that, whether or not you agree with Dr. So-and-so, the, the point is that's the last thing I'm concerned about. What I'm concerned about is that you will want to not play by the rules and take the easy way out. You'll disregard the community life covenant. You'll disregard academic standards. You'll say it's too hard to do it this way. If I'm going to cross that finish line, I'm not going to do it according to the rules. Paul tells Timothy in life and ministry, no, no, you don't want to cross that line having taken shortcuts. You don't want to cross that line having gone the easy way. You don't want to cross that line having cheated. You want to be vigilant about doing it the right way. You want to stay on course, Timothy, because then when you cross that line, then there's a prize. And that's what Paul was saying. I've fought the good fight. I've run the good race. What I want to hear is what? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He says, when you get to the end, it won't count. It won't count if you didn't do it the right way. So whether that's your life and work as a student in specific regard to academic work or your social life or your community life here or our expectations for you or it's your spiritual life or your professional life or your personal life, there are no shortcuts. You take the easy way when you get to the end, there's nothing there. It's like the tortoise and the hare, right? Slow and steady wins the race. 
Cheaters never prosper. Well, actually they do, what, but what they do, cheaters do, right? Sometimes prosper. But what Paul is saying to Timothy here is, no, no, listen, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Be vigilant because if you take the easy way, if you take the shortcut, if you disregard the rules, there is no, there's no crossing that line with any kind of accomplishment. It won't have been worth it, he says to him. It's a very powerful idea. Be willing be vigilant. Then he gives him the third picture. It's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. He grabs a third word picture for Timothy from the world around him and says, and he doesn't say, you know, it's interesting to me. Well, I'll get to that in a second, what, how the Apostle Paul does. He says, the hard-working farmer ought to have the first share of his crops. He's giving Timothy this picture, and it's not just of a farmer. It's of a certain kind of farmer. He's very specific in the language, a hard-working farmer. I read this passage, and the thing that comes to mind is the proverb where Solomon says, I walked past the field of the sluggard, and I saw that the walls were fallen down, and the thorns had grown up, and the thistles had grown up, and the ground had gone fallow. And I thought to myself, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty descends upon you like a thief. Solomon walked past the field of the sluggard and said, there's someone who wasn't working very hard. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Proverbs, that idea of, of hard work versus slothfulness is actually equated with righteousness and sinfulness. In fact, in Proverbs, whenever you see these words of wise and foolish, of, of, of hardworking and slothful, of sinful and righteous. It's always sort of wrapped up in the spiritual thing. For Paul, the way we live our life is, is, is part of our faith, the same way it was for Solomon. The way you do your work, the way you carry out life is a reflection of faith. You don't get to say, I love Jesus and I want to serve him with my whole life, but I don't really care about anything else. He says the hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of his crops. And so what he's saying to Timothy is that picture of the farmer. Remember, the hardworking farmer. You don't get to say, I want, if you haven't worked. You don't get to take the first crops if you're not the hardworking farmer. In fact, there won't have any, you won't have anything to sell and you won't have anything to eat. Be willing, be vigilant, be diligent. What he's saying here is to be diligent. Listen, Timothy. My son, my spiritual son, my disciple, the one whom I poured myself into, the one who I'm passing this on to, you must be diligent. You must work hard. That is a very interesting picture. The further removed we are from, from real work in this world, the more, I mean, I mean, look, I don't have to tell you, right? The, the world we live in is preoccupied with convenience and comfort. The whole goal is to work less hard, right? I mean, when I was coming up, there was a phenomenon going on where I was, I was actually being introduced to people of means who were trying to retire by age 50. Now, if you think about that, right? They're trying to retire by age 50 or 55 while the average lifespan is going to 85. And you don't start working in the adult world till 25. What you're saying is I want to divide my life. I'll work for half of it, but I won't work for the second half. Now, there's nothing long, wrong with I know lots of people in early retirement are very productive, but the thing was there was this goal to get to the easy life, to get to, get, to get to the point where you didn't have to work very hard. Look, if you're coming to college or university because you don't want to work very hard, I, 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 let me be the first to say uh, you're in trouble. Right? You'll have all-nighters. 
Some of it will be self-inflicted because you didn't divide the work up along the way, and some will just be there's no other choice, right? At the end of tomorrow or Tuesday, depending on how your classes and you get those things. I didn't even know what it, it took me three weeks as a student to even figure out what a syllabus was. They kept using this term. I'm like, I don't see buses anywhere. I don't know what they're talking about, right? <laughs> the syllabus, right? The outline for the course, the contract between you and the faculty member. You'll start to stack them up tomorrow. I refer to the end of Monday, the first day of classes for new students as being syllabuzzed, right? You end up like all of them, you're looking at, and some of you are really diligent, you're trying to get everything in the date book and you're worried how you're gonna get that paper in that's due December 1st. Stop, right? And some of you are saying, I can't do any of this, and you throw it all in the can and light it on fire. No, that's not the way to do it either. You have to find something in between. You have to work. You're here to work. You're going to work. Be a hardworking farmer, because you don't get to enjoy the fruits of your labor if you're not. There won't be anything for you to eat or to sell if you're not working hard. If you came here thinking it's going to be easy, it's not. If you came here thinking this will be the road to being easy, it isn't. There's not a follower of Jesus Christ for us in the Bible who had an easy road of it, where ease and convenience was the order of the day. They all expended themselves in his service. Well, how could you do that? It's so exhausting. Because he said, be strengthened in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't do it out in your own power, but you do keep doing it. And so he says to him here, the hardworking farmer, be diligent. Let me encourage you at the very outset to be diligent, to be willing to do hard things in the name of the one who enlisted you. Be vigilant to do it the right way. Be diligent to keep at it, to work hard. It's a very simple message that Paul gives Timothy, but one of the things that's interesting is that Paul doesn't say to Timothy, I mean, there's no explanation here. He doesn't, when he starts talking about the soldiers, say, look, I'm thinking about that thing that you did when you were, when you were 28, and we did that thing with this. Or He's not saying, now, look, there are going to be times when you're going to feel like you don't want to do this, and there's going to be something that comes up. He, doesn't do, he just gives them the pictures. He gives them the picture of the soldier, the picture of the athlete, and the picture of the farmer. There's not a lot of explanation. There's not a lot of parsing it out. There's not a lot of leading there's not a lot of, let me give you applications. Basically what he's doing is, he's doing what he's always done with Timothy. I'm going to give you some truth, and then you have to do some work to figure out the implications of it. And so what he says to him in the final verse of what I've selected here, think over what I say. Think over what I say. You will hear this word a lot from me and others at this institution, and it's the word implication. If this is true, then what? Right? It isn't just giving you tools for applying to situations. I, I don't, I, I, lots of people use that metaphor. Okay, I hope you have a toolbox, but guess what? You know, uh, um, a hammer can be used for more things than driving a nail. So a toolbox doesn't, the truth is, can you think creatively and innovatively about how to solve the problems? Are you thinking about the implications? Look, if he says, share in the suffering as a good soldier, then you need to be thinking about what are the implications of that truth for me? How much am I looking to actually be free from suffering? What, am I actually, what are my priorities emotionally? What are my priorities mentally and relationally? What am I willing to do? You should be thinking about that implication. When he says an athlete doesn't 
doesn't get a prize if he breaks the rules, if he doesn't compete according to the rules. You should be thinking about what's the implication of that. The sense of, can, are you willing to be vigilant in your integrity and the choices you make so that there's a sense of real accomplishment when something gets done? And real award and reward comes from the Lord. You're not going to cut corners. You're not going to look for the easy way. You're not going to cheat. What are the implications for this idea of hard work? Because the culture around you will push you in the other way. It will tell you that suffering is an antiquated notion. The goal is to be free from it. When they tell you to be willing to do something hard, they're just trying to get more out of you. When you're, when you're reminded to be vigilant about your integrity and character, people will, the, the world around you will say, that doesn't matter. How you get there doesn't matter, just that you get there. That's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. When, when, when you think about the issue of working hard and the whole world around you says only chumps work hard, everything around you will push your judgments and sensibilities in the other direction. You have to follow the wise instruction of Paul to his son and student Timothy. Be willing, be vigilant, be disciplined. Think on these things. Think about what I've said. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let me encourage you today, tonight, sometime. If you got 10 minutes, get 10 minutes. You got 15 minutes, get 15. You got 30, take it. An hour, take it. Go for a walk. Think over these things. Are you ready to be willing, vigilant, and diligent? If you're not, pray that God would make you so. If you're worried that you won't be able to do it, trust in the strength that comes in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It all comes back to him, for the Apostle Paul, for Timothy, for you and me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and grace, for your sovereign care in bringing these students here to Cairn University. We pray today that you would give them grace to strengthen them in their inner woman and inner man. Give them the courage of their faith to follow you, to lean in, to want to have strength that comes from your grace, to draw upon your grace that might strengthen them. We pray, Father, that you would give them what they need to be willing soldiers, vigilant competitors, and diligent farmers. For your glory and your namesake, we pray it all in Christ's name, amen.